Let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for, yeah, for praising you, to being able to shout out your name, Lord, to being able to talk about your greatness. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We lift you high, God. Lord, we pray for all those who are not with us tonight, Lord, who are not able to be with us, God. We pray for heartache. We pray that you would comfort them, God. We pray for those who are sick, Lord. We pray that you would heal them, Father. We pray for those who are busy, Lord. We pray that they would be able to slow down and enjoy your presence. Lord, we pray for all of us who are here tonight online, Lord, and here in the building. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears, let us receive what you have for us, because we've come expectant that you have lots for us, Jesus. You never don't give us something. <laughs> You're always giving of yourself. You're always giving of your grace. You're always giving of your redemption, Lord, of your goodness, of your power. So, Lord, we come with open hands, expectant of you to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Richmond, once again. I'm uh, Zach Cawthorn, and I'm excited to be able to be here with you tonight, sharing on Proverbs 22. So if you would, you can open your Bibles to Proverbs 22, and we're going to spend our time there tonight. So if you've gone through with us in any of our Proverbs studies over the last uh, while that we've been having them, uh, you probably are a lot like me, and there's a big chunk of Proverbs after about the first five to ten chapters of Proverbs. There's a big chunk of it that feels like fortune cookies. Each verse, you're opening up a fortune cookie, and you're like, oh, okay. And then you get to the next verse, and you're like, oh, another fortune cookie. Then you get to the next verse, and it's, oh, another fortune cookie. So I have the pleasure of uh, being here tonight to open some of those fortune cookies with you. But also, Proverbs 22 begins a transition in Proverbs away from some fortune cookies where it's just one-one verses that go back and forth talking to a bit of a, of a larger swath. Proverbs 22, starting in verse 17 through the next two or three chapters of Proverbs, actually begins little statements on wisdom. And it's focusing more on these statements on what wisdom looks like and what it looks like to be wise instead of fortune cookie wisdom. Um, so tonight we're going to be looking at that. But before we start that, I, wanna, I just want to make a clarification, two clarifications for us. Whenever we go through Proverbs, a Proverbs in itself is a, is a wisdom statement. It's a statement that's been gleaned through a bunch of different watching of different things, getting a rule of thumb, and it's not necessarily always promises. A lot of the time whenever we read in Proverbs, I hear people pull from Proverbs and say, this is a promise from God. But Proverbs isn't supposed to be read like that. Not all of the Proverbs are supposed to be read as promises from God. A lot of times they are just rule of thumb, checking out and saying, hey, you know, 99% of the time this is going to happen, but there are exceptions to the rule. And so I'll give you some examples of, of what promises are in Proverbs 22, and then what are also just rule of thumbs. So for example, in verses, where am I at? Um, verse 22.7. In 22 verse 7, it says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. 
Now, that's not, that's not always true that the rich are the ones that are ruling over the poor. But as a rule of thumb, the rich are ruling over the poor. And as a rule of thumb, someone who has borrowed something is then a slave to that who lent it to them. If you think about it, most of us have taken out mortgages for a car, I mean, mortgages for a house or a loan for a car, and we work daily to pay those things off. We are, in a sense, slaves to the money that we've, that we've borrowed away to pay those things off. But it's not true all the time. Some of us live absolutely, completely free of that, even when we've lent, even whenever we've borrowed from people. So just as a rule of thumb, some of these things are in there. And then there's also promises, like in Proverbs 22, 4. It says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches honor and life. That's a promise. If you live in humility and you live in fear of the Lord, then you will receive riches, honor, and life. Now, what that riches looks like is the real question. Most people read that and they say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I think I used Mr. McScrooge a couple weeks ago whenever I was preaching. I'm going to be Mr. McScrooge swimming through a bunch of gold and spitting it out my mouth and all that stuff. That's the riches that I'm going to get. And some Preachers will actually preach on that and tell you that that's what you will receive. But if we look at the most humble man who feared the Lord that the scriptures say, which is Moses, did Moses have riches? Absolutely. But his riches were in heaven. He stored up his riches in heaven. It wasn't riches on this earth. And he did receive life, which is Jesus Christ, and he did receive much honor. So now that we've got that clarification out of the way, we've got that one clarification of, of not all proverbs are promises. They're rule of thumb. And then there are promises that are mixed in. So discerning what's the promises and what's the rule of thumb is some, some of the things that we have to do. Relying on the Holy Spirit, reading the saints that have gone before us, and just asking Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to, to speak to you and tell you. Um, the other thing that I want to make a clarification about in Proverbs, or at least what we're going to do tonight, is, is at different times when we read through the scriptures, we read with different lenses on, whether we realize it or not. Whenever you're 18, you read with 18-year-old 18, 18 lenses on. Whenever you're 25, you read with 25-year-old lenses on. Whenever you're 48, you're going to read with 48-year-old lenses on. And sometimes those lenses go from, I don't have any, now I have some, now I need reading glasses. That's what those lenses look like. But also, it, it plays by the way that our life is led. So tonight, as we read through Proverbs 22, we're actually going to read through it with a slant on leadership and influence. Instead of looking at all of the verses and saying, this is what these verses mean, we're going to look at it through the lenses of what these verses mean for leadership and influence. Each one of us in our lives are leaders, one, and two, influencers. And some people would say that, to lead is to have influence, but that's not always true. Some of us have bosses that are leaders that have no influence in our lives, aside from what they tell us to do. And some of us have influence in other people's life with no leadership ability. But leadership and influence play a really close-knit relationship with each other. So we're going to do those, we're going to look at those two things tonight as we go through Proverbs 22. So, um... Yeah, let's pray. Since we've made those clarifications, let's pray before we get into the scriptures. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's good. We thank you that you love us and that you have given us your word. 
Um, Jesus, we just pray that you would open our eyes, that you would give to us what you have for us tonight, Lord, and that we would receive what you have, Lord. I pray that your words would come out of my mouth, Father, um, and when I misspeak, Lord, that uh, you would put different words in people's ears, (laughs) because God, I am fallible, and I am weak, and I pray that you would be strong in my weakness, Lord, that you would be strong as you always are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So instead of reading through the full, the full of Proverbs 22, we're actually going to go verse by verse, and we're going to talk about each verse in light of, of leadership and, um, and influence. So let's take a look at verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. I think most of us would agree that a good name goes a long way. And that a good name actually is better than riches. Although some of us would say, a good name can't keep your, your belly fed. And a good name can't keep, as my dad would always say, food on the table. But a good name is better than riches. A good name, food and gold can't keep you warm at night, but fellowship can. A gold and silver will not come to you whenever you're stranded on the side of the road, but a friend will. And so favor with those around you is much better than just having money. This is a rule of thumb scripture. Riches can buy you stuff and can take you places, but influence, which is what most people would call leadership, can only be taken by having a good name. If your name is scorned, if your name is, is drig, drugged through the mud, drigging, drugged through the mud, then most people won't even listen to you. They won't even turn an ear to what you're saying. And believe me, I've spent a lot of my life having a bad name just because of where I grew up. Um, most people would say, yeah, you're from Mississippi. We don't have to listen to you, boy. Actually, gaining a good name and gaining favor is something that is used quite often in all of our lives. All of us can think about people that, that have our ear. Those are people that we've given our favor to. Notice that it says it's to be chosen. That means that there are decisions that we can have that will give us the opportunity to gain these earthly riches and to soil our name and to keep or to keep our name clean. Each one of us can think about situations in our own lives whenever those situations have come up. Like cheating on your taxes or talk bad about a coworker to, or possibly to talk bad about a coworker to get a raise or to, to get a promotion. Be, we need to be more about our relationships or should we be more about the task? All these things will garner you either a good name or riches. Which one will you choose? Which one do you choose? How does that affect your leadership and your influence inside of the lives that are around you? By now, you guys have probably listened to me talk a bunch. I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions that are pointed straight at you. So receive those questions. Don't kick against them because they're meant to sharpen us and to grow us up closer in the Lord. Favor is better than gold, but it can't keep you warm at night. That's for sure. Some of us can remember the story in Luke 12 of the rich man who had a great harvest. 
He decided to tear down his storehouses and build new ones to hoard all of his wealth. And he said, after all this is over, I'll eat and drink and be merry. Well, in the end, if you remember in verse 20 of Luke 12, it says, Full this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Same thing. Let us grow in favor towards the Lord and each other. When you're in need, if you have favor with people, they will be prone to help you. And at the same time, if we're storing up our treasures in heaven, then the Lord's favor will be upon us. Let's take a look at verse 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. What does this have to say about leadership and influence? We talked uh, at the marriage night a couple weeks ago. Actually, that's probably over a month ago now. Um, about Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And we talk, and Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is how we were all made in the image of Jesus Christ. Whether rich, poor, man, woman, we're all made in the image of Jesus Christ. And when you look through the lens of the person around you, the people that you're around are image bearers. It changes the way that you look at them. It changes the way that you interact with them. It changes the words that come out of your mouth. If that's your spouse, if that's your kids, if that's the guy that cut you off running across the road, if that's the guy that stepped on your foot in Walmart with the, or ran over your foot in Walmart with the buggy, you're different. There's a difference because of their image bearers. The right eyes to see will always keep us in the right place. When we cross paths, we cross paths with the poor and the rich each day, and both monetarily, if you're monetarily rich or you're monetarily poor or you're spiritually rich or you're spiritually poor, you're all made by the same creator and all made in his same image. And so that leads us to walk in leadership of those who are believers and those who are non-believers exactly the same because they're both made in the same image. Our influence that we want over both of those types of people are exactly the same. We want to be able to lead them into the kingdom of God. So keeping a view of all of us created in human, all created humans um, as image bearers really changes our view of the people, especially when it comes into leading and to have an influence over them. We're to lead and influence them into the kingdom of God. And as followers of Christ, that's what we're all about is sharing the kingdom of God, taking the kingdom of God to people and leading them closer to it. Verse three, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Another one of our rule of thumb verses, those who are aware and showing care for the future will make decisions because, will make decisions because of what they see coming and is coming in front of them. While those who aren't, what will they do? They'll just run right into the hole right in front of them. They'll see the danger that's coming. Oh, there's up there. Oh, you know, I'll deal with it whenever I get up there. Have any of you guys been in that situation? Oh, you know, I see that there is a hole 100 feet in front of me, but I'm just going to keep plowing ahead, and once I get there, then I'll deal with it. Maybe somebody else will take care of it before I get there, but I'll just deal with it whenever I get there. Um, God spoke to me about a year ago that there are two different types of fires in our lives. One is the refiner's fire, where God puts you in a situation, and he 
puts a fire on you to refine you. He is working out the impurities inside of your life. He says, I want to put you in this fire. I want you to put you in this situation where there's going to be troubles. And during this time, I'm going to meld out all the impurities and I'm going to turn you into what I have for you. The second type of a fire is whenever we start kindling a fire ourselves. The refiner's fire purifies us, strengthens us, and pulls us closer to the Lord. Whenever we start kindling a fire ourselves, it's kind of that out of the fire and into the fire pan, or out of the, what is it, out of the fire pan, fry pan and into the fire type uh, adage. The only thing that ends up is you end up burned. You end up burned. And a lot of times that's whenever we're not being prudent, whenever we're not looking forward, we're not caring for the future. We don't have an eye forward. Instead, we're just thinking about right now in this moment. Most of us in our lives would say that we have spent a lot of our lives that way. Once I get out of college, then I'll do this for God. Uh, well, once I get my job and, my, and I'm, I'm under, uh, getting my stuff all taken care of, then I'll do this. Once I get married and after we finish, finish our first year, then we'll do this. Once we have kids, uh, then we'll do this. Well, once our kids are teenagers, then we'll get this done. Uh, once I get my house paid off, then we get this. Now I'm retired. You know, once I get uh, 75, I'll start doing this man, I wish I would have not said once, 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 once. Once, 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 once. The prudent look and say, man, there's stuff coming. I should be preparing for that. But never changing your life away from what the Lord's called you to do. The prudent are, are going to step away from those snares and the things that are falling to them while those that aren't will continue to run straight into them. God told me before I went to India, uh, one of the most profound things I've ever heard from him, clear as day and profound. He said, Zach Calthorn, you are not special. And it floored me because I thought I was special. I thought I was so special. And what I mean by that is God told me that if there is a rule of thumb, then I'm always the rule. I won't be the exception. So if there are a hundred of us running out into the middle of a field holding big, long, tall rods and it's a lightning storm, then I am going to get struck by lightning 100% of the time. And there will be one guy out there who doesn't get struck by lightning. And I always thought that I was going to be that guy. So what that, what that made happen to me was that made me think that I knew better than everybody else. If I'm honest... It made me have this pride. Well, you don't know me. I'm Zach Colthorn. Like, that may have happened to this guy, but you don't know me. I'm not going to fall in that same snare. I can go to the brothel and be okay. I can go to the bar and be okay. I can have just one sip, one, one cigarette, one this, one that, and be perfectly fine when no one else can. But the truth is, is that I'm not special, and most of us aren't. And even if we've been the exception to the rule one time, the next time that that same guy runs out there with his lightning rod, the odds are that that guy is going to get struck by lightning. You can't miss it all the time. The same thing is true with God told me. I'm not that 1%. In any situation, I won't ever be it. This one word from God has really set me up to be a lifetime learner. I've really changed my life to try and pick up as much as I can from those who came before me and learn from those who are in the midst of it with me and those who have different perspectives. Leadership and influence really comes from all of those different places. 
So make sure you have eyes to see and ears to hear so that you can learn from those around you. Or else you will be the one who's simple and you'll go on and you'll suffer for it as I have many a times before. And I still suffer a lot these days. I'm still messing up, but I try my best to learn from those around me. Why reinvent the wheel over and over again whenever there are plenty of people who already have the wheel, who've already made the wheel. Let's just make better designs from it. Let's look at verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Um, it says in, is it Proverbs 9? Let me get the right verse. 9, 10, that the fear, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So we know that if we walk in humility, which humility is right standing, understanding your strengths and your gifts. It's not this... Uh, football player, superstar, uh, guy that gets up at the VMAs and says, I just want to thank God first. I just want to thank God first. That's not, that's not really what humility is. Humility is really understanding how God has created you, your strengths and your weaknesses, looking at the cross, seeing yourself through the cross and realizing that, realizing that I have nothing without Jesus Christ. And without him and without the strengths that he's given me, the weaknesses that he's given me and the ways that he's made me, then there's... Nothing that I have. So the reward for being humble, for knowing who you are in Jesus, knowing what you are in him, all of the strengths, all of the weaknesses, all of the beauty that he's given you, and then fearing him and walking in wisdom really is riches. It's riches inside of him. and it's honor and life, which is him. We're drawn to those humble leaders like Moses. If, we've been in, if, we've been around, if you're around humble people, then you're naturally drawn to those people. You love those people. Those are the people that you say, man, I want to hear from that guy. Whenever the, pride or, whenever the proud are there beating their chest, quite often we want to sprint the opposite direction. Honestly, if we looked at our, just our president right now, he's a proud man. And the reason that most people vote against him and even the cases that people voted against him for was he's proud. He's very proud. We as leaders and in our influence around others should always strive for humility, should always look in humility so that we will one, fear the Lord. In, that humility, in, in the fear of the Lord, then you understand humility, and then you, then you will get that, that. Those riches of him and honor, and you will receive life from him. Let's look at verse five. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. In leadership, you'll see this. David wrote many, many psalms about those who are in sin and getting lots of good things. In the end, all of their ends were destruction, though. You can't be crooked or corrupt and not reap what you sow. Now, you watch any movie, the, the shoot 'em up kill 'em movies, almost any movie that there's something corrupt going on and, and crooked, the end of the movie, that person gets with what they were, had coming for them. In the same way, as you guard your soul according to the word of the Lord, you will keep far from the corrupt and good things. And you will keep those that you're influencing also away from those things. 
People are watching you. People are seeing what you're doing and they're following what you're doing. Do as I say, not as I do, does not work. People do as you do. As we who, all, who have children can all attest to our children doing that. Son, don't do as, I, do, as I, do as I say, not as I do. I'm telling you, don't open this knife like this. Your son opens his knife like that, cuts his finger. My son did that this past week. It doesn't work. It's all going to come back to you. But as we keep watch, keep watch over our soul and stay away from the snares and the way of the crooked, then we will influence and lead others in the ways that they should go. Verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is another rule of thumb verse, although a lot of us like to claim it as promises. You training up your child in the way that he should go does not mean that your child will accept Jesus Christ. That is his own personal and her own personal decision. And we can't make them do anything. It is the Lord calling them to himself, them receiving that. But as rule of thumb, if we train up our children in the way that they should go, then even when they're old, they will not depart from it. This begs a couple questions for me. One question, number one is, is when does your child stop being your child? Never. Your child is always your child. So does that mean when do you stop training? Never. You're always training your child. Three, when do they become old? You're always older than them. Do they become old whenever you die? Is that whenever, they, whenever you can say, okay, even when they're old, they won't depart from it? Now, this verse says, even when they're old. So you're training them in the way. You're leading them in the way, which is Jesus, the way being Jesus. You're leading them in the way of Jesus. And they're following you behind it. But it's not a passive, I'm going to put them into youth group. I'm going to put them into children's ministry. I'm going to not drop my microphone off of my face. I did just drop my microphone off of my face. I'm going to put them into youth ministry. I'm going to put them into children's ministry. I've done my job, and I'm just going to provide for them every day. There we go. Maybe I'll get this thing and I'll shake it off my head. I'm going to provide for them, and that's it. That's my job. And when they get 14 or 15 or 16, they start kicking against the goads, I'm just going to let them say, step back and say, no, they're their own person. They get to make their own decisions. No, we're to train them. And that training sometimes looks like a discipline training. That training a lot of times looks like, uh, come along with me and I will teach you how to do this. Come along with me. Let me show you how to witness. Let me show you how to read the scriptures. Let me show you how to pray. Do this with me, son. Do this with me, daughter. Let's do these things together. Because if you're not modeling it inside of your house, if, and those are your first disciples, then you won't model it anywhere else. I... Uh, I I struggle with this. I have a six-year-old, almost seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a newly four-year-old. And I tend to be the disciplinarian trainer. That's just my, my lean is a disciplinarian trainer. And I try to take them along. Hey, let's go. Let me teach you these things. Let me teach you how to make a fire outside in the woods. I want to show you how to do this. And we'll do it without matches. Let me teach you how to do that. But pretty soon, I find myself over there saying, don't do that. No, don't do that. That's not the way to do it. Do it like this. Instead of being gentle and soft with my words to train them up in the way that they should go, being like Jesus. Jesus rebuked his disciples quite often, actually. But Jesus also rebuked them in love 
and he taught them a lot in love as well. There's a lot of different sermons that we could actually teach and preach, and I'm sure that we've all read books and heard sermons on just this one verse. They will not depart from the way as we influence them in the right ways, but our influence has to be a daily thing. Train our children up in the way they should go, daily taking their hands and showing them about Jesus, teaching them about Jesus, reading the word and the scriptures with them. If I could, if I could encourage you one thing, parents, no matter how old your children are, they're still your children. You still have a job to train them. Now, your training looks different as they grow older. You're not as disciplined to a 30, you're not a disciplinarian to a 30-year-old who's living on their own, who has their own family, but you still have their ear and you can still train them in the way that they should go. So as they're old, they won't depart from it. Even when they're old, they won't depart from it. Let's move on to verse 7. Rich, the rich rule over the poor and the borrowers the slave to the lender. Money and power are also types of leadership and influence. Not that they are the primary, but they are. As you grow wealth and as you become more financially stable, you have more influence and you have more leadership to a certain extent over those who don't have. We as, uh, as missionaries understand this quite a lot. We don't work for any of our money aside from the gospel. And those that give to us actually have a lot of sway over us. My mom and my dad for a while prayed, and my mother-in-law for sure for a while prayed for us to, all of our finances to dry up, for people to stop giving so that we would no longer be able to go to the field. Now, we believe that it's all the, the kingdom's money, and God is distributing his money to those who he has need for it to be at. And so we disregard those prayers, but how often is that true that people have that thought? I know many of people who want to go to the field who say that, I don't have people that would give money to us. Money, the rich do rule over the poor. They do have a sway, but it's not a primary sway. Trying to pull the, the rug out of someone saying, hey, if you, if you stop doing that, I'm going to stop giving to you. If you keep doing that, I'm going to stop giving to you. Doesn't really, doesn't really change very much. Although a lot of us have kind of given into that in our jobs. We've given into money being a leader in our jobs and in our family. I hate this job. This job pulls me away from everything that God's calling me to. But I have to keep this job because I need it. I need the finances from it. How often, I believe, I wondered, is God calling each one of us to something different? But we stay at it because of the financial peace. Let's look at verse 8. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. As holders of influence, this, this verse really shows us that if we're unjust, we will reap nothing but bad. And rod of fury will come. Take a look at verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Being generous person is always a good thing. As you are generous and as you open your, your time your talents, and your treasures to those around you, especially into the kingdom. Your influence grows. It grows magnificently. And you know what's cool? The Lord always gives more. 
There have been times where the Lord has, has, has literally, I had $300 in my bank account. The Lord literally told me to give all $300 away. And I, had, I knew that I had to make rent two days from then. And then as the Lord's providence, I go to the mailbox the next day and there's a check from the government that they won't take back that I have to cash that's in my name for something that I never even applied for. And it was for $305. Because the Lord's good like that. As we give bountifully, as we open up of our time, our treasures, and our talent, then we will be blessed. And if we share with others, then we gain more influence and leadership in their lives. One of the easiest ways to break down a person's walls and barriers is to serve them with your time, your talents, and your treasure. A friend of mine had a, had a mother-in-law that every time that he came over to their house, she would give him a list of stuff outside to do. And the wife would come inside and hang out and spend time with the mother-in-law, and she would say, do this before you come inside. And just so happens that by the time that he would finish, they were, she was leaving. She would, she would kind of kick the daughter-in-law or her daughter out the door. So the, so the husband was never able to actually go into the house. But the husband just kind of bit his lip and said, you know, I don't really care. I'm going to serve her as much as I can. I'll spend all my time and all my talents, and eventually all the yard work and all the outside work will get done, and then I'll start working on the inside. And after about a good seven or eight months of that, it happened. And Slowly over time, the mother-in-law's heart opened to the, to the son-in-law. That's basically what happens. You grow your influence as you serve those around you. A bountiful eye, it's not just money. It's treasure. I mean, our talents and our time as well. Time is probably some, most of our biggest commodity and the thing that we hold the closest to us. Let's take a look at verse 10. This one's a pretty easy one. Drive out the scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. I think most of us could shake our head and say, yeah, if someone's stirring up the pot, if you push that person out, then the pot doesn't get stirred anymore. Sometimes in leadership and influence, it's realizing that there's a scoffer and that you've done everything that you can to help that person and all that you can do is push that person out. Inside of the church, we have stuff, stuff that called church discipline which is actually disciplining the believers inside of the church to tell them, hey, we need to separate for a time till you can get your stuff together because we've done everything that we could do for you and you have not repented. You've not pulled back. This is always, if you read through the scriptures, there's separation for a time so that repentance can happen, so that you can come back into fellowship, so that there can be reconciliation. And that's the hope. Verse 11, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Influence with purity will open more, do more doors to leadership and more doors to influence than corruption. I, I would say that most of our political leaders these days don't actually have much influence over most of the country. Whenever most people listen to our political leaders, they already think that there's something crooked going on. They already think that there's something impure going on. And so when you see 
a leader going to a hair salon after they've closed them all down, or you see a leader going to a party inside of a building after they've restricted parties to less than two or three people, then you immediately lose all respect for that person and you lose any influence that they had in your life. But as we walk in purity and as we walk in a purity of heart and love the purity of heart and our speech is gracious, then we will actually grow our influence. I think about about, uh, Billy Graham a lot. His influence over so many different presidents just because of keeping the faith and being pure. Not many of us could say stuff like that. Verse 12, The eyes of the Lord will keep watch over knowledge, but He overthrows the words of the traitor. That's good stuff. The eyes of the Lord are watching the knowledge. But whenever we betray with our words, He overthrows it. Look at verse 13. The sluggard says there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. We can't be sluggards or lazy and fearful and make rationalizations over responsibilities when we've been given those responsibilities, we've been given that leadership, we've been given that influence over those people. It's real easy for most of us who have children to think about those things. If, I, if I'm not training my child up in the way that he should go, a lot of times it's because I'm lazy. Just be honest with you. Because I'm tired, my day's been long, I've worked and done this and that, I don't need to go, I don't know, walk into the bathroom with my child again because he's scared of the dark. He can do that by himself, but that's a laziness, which actually in turn cuts off the influence and the leadership that I have and the things that they do later on, they won't, they won't ask me about it. Verse 14, the mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry with will fall into it. How many of us have seen leaders inside of the church fall into this pit? Tons. It almost seems like every other week we're seeing some news article about some leader that's fallen into affairs, has fallen into something because the Lord was angry with him. <laughs> Why? Probably because there's a bunch of falsities, traitorous words, etc., things that we've already read about. Verse 15, this is me all, all, most of the time whenever I'm I'm trying to lead my children in the way that, he should, that they should go. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from me. This is something that I need to step back on, just to be honest with you. Walk less in discipline, more in grace. I have three rowdy boys, so there needs to be a lot of discipline there. But discipline is also a type of leadership, and it's a type of training, especially among children, but also among adults. I, don't, I wouldn't put it past us that discipline changes adults, although a lot of us kick against it immediately whenever it happens. No, I don't like that. And later on, you come back to those people and say, thank you for that. I can really see that you loved me, that you really cared about my soul, that you really cared about the way that I, that I cared. I have, a, I have a friend from college that was really struggling with his faith. We were really, really good brothers. I was really struggling with his faith. He had dated this one girl, was going to date another girl. He was asking me if he should start dating her. And I said, brother, hold up. Hold up. You really need to find Jesus and all of this stuff. 
because man, jumping from one girl to the next girl is never a good thing. Let's stop and let's, let's just love Jesus. He got really upset at me. This was right before we went home my sophomore year of college. And I went to Mexico and he went to um, work a job. And then whenever we came back, he was just really, I didn't even know he was upset with me. I was in Mexico, no phone service or anything. At the end of that, whenever we came back, he was dating that girl. And I just went to him again. I was like, dude, I think you need to break up with this girl. I don't think that this is the right thing. Still very upset at me. Blew up at me. Friendship's over type thing. Um, about two years later, after they had broken up with this girl, he calls me up and says, you know, you and my brother were the only people that would actually say that to me. And like the verse that we read previously, the mouth of, of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. And this, this relationship really ran me down a deep, deep ground. And I could feel the anger of the Lord on me. But there was only the two of you out of all the people that I know that would actually discipline me. Know that discipline is a, is a part of leadership. Verse 16, whoever opposes the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will come to poverty. Uh, generously looking at each person as an image bearer and not their status. It really changes a lot of the way that we live. Verses 17 through 21 is a, is a big thing that we should all take away from this, this uh, proverb. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. If all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, that you may give, tr give a true answer to those who sent you? Being a learner, learning from those who have come before you, those who are in it now, and who are those who will come after you. Being a learner, if we, can, if we can all be lifetime learners, then we will all not fall into a lot of pits. We'll all grow more glorious, more holy, closer to the kingdom of God. We will all know Jesus more by taking a humble stance and saying, yes, brother, I will listen to your creative feedback. I'll listen to your critical feedback. I will chew up the meat and spit out the bones of what you have to say. That verse, if one comes and slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the left cheek, a lot of times people want to come and slap you. Yeah, my, my wife, a lot of times we laugh. Whenever we go stay at a hotel and they give you that, that form to say, fill out a critique of us or give some feedback, she's always like, oh yeah, give me that. And a lot of times... She'll write some good stuff on there. But whenever it, something has been off, she is really excited to write about it. I tend to be that way too. Whenever someone gives me an open door for feedback, I tend to be very critical. Hey, these are all of your flaws. These are all of the wrong things that you're doing. But honestly, a lot of times, whenever people give me that critical feedback, I want to I be like, no, you didn't. Uh-uh. I am perfect. I'm Zach Cawthorn, in case you forgot. But as I grow older and as the Lord's given me that word that I told you guys earlier that I'm not special, I tend to step back more and say, yeah, thank you for your critical words. Not all of that was true, but thank you for your critical words. 
There's good to learn from people. There's bad to learn from people. We learn a lot from the failures of the people who have gone before us. And I think Solomon is a really good example of this. Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, still had tons of wisdom to share. Think about that. A very sinful man, walking in sin, had given away probably half of, not more of what the Lord had given him. But yet still the Lord was using him because the Lord had given him lots of wisdom. Be a learner. If I can challenge you, be a learner. Come with a humble posture, with some humble pie to learn from those. Don't go home and critique the person who's preaching the word. Receive what they have to say to you. I think one of the very first things that most of us do whenever we get in the car is say, what did you think about that? Yeah, I don't really like it. I, I disagree with what Pastor Tim said. I definitely disagree with everything that Zach said. <laughs> that guy, I don't know why they give him an opportunity to be up there. Receive what the Lord has for you instead of critiquing it. As we come to a close, we see a couple more verses that lead us to stay away from different things that will hamper our leadership and our influences. Verse 22 through 23 says... Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob him. You rob them of monetary things. They rob you. He robs you of your soul. Robs you of life. Your soul will be robbed. Stay away from robbing the poor. Don't rob, period. Let's just go into that. Don't steal, period. It's not a good thing. Take a look at verse 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Not making friendship with an angry man so that you don't learn his ways and set a trap for your soul is huge. Some of us think this, is, this one is a, is a big one for a lot of us because we'll, we'll trick ourselves, men, especially men, we'll trick ourselves to hanging out with an angry man or someone who we know is doing wrong things and call it outreach whenever we don't actually talk about the kingdom of God. Well, we prayed before our meal. We prayed. But then we played Xbox for 100 hours and he yelled at all the little kids on Call of Duty the whole time. Or we went bowling and all he did was talk bad about his wife the whole time. Then I came home very angry at my wife, although she had made me this wonderful dinner. Be careful with who you spend your time with. If, you're, if you are ministering to someone, then minister to him. Give them the word of God. If you're not, it's probably time for you to break off that relationship. Let's take a look at verse 26 and 27. Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Making pledges quickly when you can't back it up. This one's a big one for leadership and influence, actually. Um, how often do we as leaders tend to make big grandeur dreams and these big visions whenever we don't actually have any feet to it? Hey, we're going to go out and we're going to do this big, huge, wonderful thing. And you might keep people with you for years, two years, three years, four years, five years. But pretty soon, whenever the rubber's not hitting the road, we've given out too much. 
and everything gets taken from us. Your leadership gets taken from you. Your favor gets taken from you. Your name that we talked about earlier gets taken from you. Honestly, a lot of us have to learn more and have to learn better how to count the cost before we start saying things. Count the cost. And this is a daily thing, counting the cost constantly. Okay, we're going to do this. All right, let's count it. Can we actually do that? We don't want to start building a tower whenever we have $10. We can buy one brick, but we're going to build a tower. Unless the Lord has specifically said, go and do that. You still count the cost. But what does that mean to you? What does the cost meant to you? A lot of us end up apologizing later because we've set up this really big vision and we've gotten people on board and then we never counted the cost for it. And then we're left with less than what we started. Verse 28, again, let's, start, let's read verse 28. Do not move the ancient landmarks that your fathers have set. Again, let us learn from those who went before us. Why would we destroy the landmarks or the things that went before us? Question, why do we always have to come up with the next new big thing? Why? This is an ancient landmark. This right here is an ancient landmark that, our, that, that God himself gave to us. It is the way. And it's all that we really need, this Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that all don't contradict each other because they are one. Why would we destroy it? So many of our churches do that these days. We say, man, let's destroy these ancient landmarks. Let's not do the word of God. We'll do some smoke screens and we'll do some, uh, some cool laser lights and we'll give people popcorn and a coffee whenever and maybe donut whenever they come in the door. We'll put their kids on the train as they go and the train will take them all around with, through, the, through this place. We've got six flags over Jesus here, so we're just going to put the kids on them and you can, ha- you can come in here and you can hang out and you can watch a movie. We'll actually do a movie today. We're going to watch The Lord of the Rings every week and not actually talk about Jesus. Yeah, we're to learn from the ancient landmarks, not to remove them. Learn from our church fathers, apostles, saints, grandparents, parents, etc. There's a lot to learn from them. There's a lot. Wrongs to learn, rights to learn, in-betweens to learn. Saying, oh, well, that worked for, for grandma and grandpa, but that's not how I want to live. In our program that we have in India, one of the things I tell people whenever we start getting into the nitty-gritty and people want to come is I say, we're going to teach you strategy, and it probably won't be the strategy that you want to use, but it will be something that you'll say, that's not what we want to do, and you'll be better for it instead of having a hundred different strategies out there that you're never able to decide on. You'll be able to say, hey, there's 30 right there that I know that God's not calling us to, and you can focus on the other 70. And finally, verse 29, which to me brings all this together. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. If you look at these verses from a leadership and influence mindset, you'll see that this will be true. If you stay Trump, stay humble, train your children, fear the Lord, stay teachable and moldable, learn from those who came before, and stay away from the traps and the snares, not be a sloth, etc., then you'll excel in your work. You'll excel in your leadership. 
You'll excel in your leader, in your influence over people's lives, and you won't be able to stay normal or average forever. The Lord will bless you with the riches. He'll bless you with honor. He'll bless you with life. So I guess my question for all of us as we close is, how are we doing in using our leadership and influence for his kingdom? How are we doing for using how are we doing using our leadership and influence for his kingdom in our families, in our schools, in our jobs, in our communities, with our friends? How are we doing? Each one of us has influence. My five year old has influence over my four year old. My four-year-old has influence over the other three-year-olds in his class and definitely over his three-year-old cousin. How is he stewarding that for the kingdom of God? How are you stewarding yours for the kingdom of God? How would he have you take a step towards doing that today? He's calling each one of us to more of him deeper in him, deeper in influence, deeper in leadership, because God does not want us to just be a lowly disciple. Disciples make disciples, who make disciples, who in turn make disciples, who after that make disciples. That's just what a disciple has to do. You run after a follower, as Pastor Tim was preaching this past week, Andrew went to who? Who went to who? Disciples make disciples. You have to share the good news. You have to share what you're learning. You have to share the great things that he's done for you. So how would he have you take a step towards growing in leadership and influence today? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for um, yeah, giving us time to be together in your word for giving us the opportunity to love you and to know you and to find you god i pray lord for each of us who are in your kingdom lord for each of us who love you for each of us who know you god that we would use our time our talents and our treasure for your kingdom there's no greater cause there's nothing better than you, Jesus, to use our leadership, to use our influence for your kingdom, to grow all of our children and all of the children around us, Lord, in the way that we should go, so that when we are old, that we won't depart from it. Lord, let us set up those ancient landmarks and look to those ancient landmarks that all that have gone before us have left. And let us be teachable and moldable in your sight, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.